It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. The truth is right now we don't know how this is going to play out. That's why it was so important to rally around several scenarios that give us the possibility of playing if we can. And we're going to try to keep a positive attitude and hope that somehow, some way we'll play in 2020. And of course, uh, it'll all depend on what happens uh, with the virus and the advice we get from public health. How was your week done? It wasn't too, too bad. Uh, certainly love the fact that we got a huge dump of rain. That's going to, as I call it, a billion dollar rainfall for all crops that could be coming in. So it's going to be great. I only wish we had rain down here. I think we uh, had a little bit enough to make the soil wet, which is the first time probably since the melt that we've had a significant rain. So I guess I can't complain, but it sure wasn't. Uh, I believe you said you had well over an inch. We were not there. We were closer to two by the time it was all said and done. And uh, in a 24 to 36 hour time span, can't ask for anything better. No, absolutely not. Lots going on down uh, in around Regina the last few days. There was a protest or march in support of the uh, Black Lives Matter movement and the Indigenous and people of color. Uh, certainly not, not only we know what's going on in the States, they also face systemic racism here in Canada, and it's something that we all need to be aware of. That's been something that uh, has definitely been in the news a lot lately, and, and for good reason, Don. I fully support anyone who is fighting racism. We've come this far in our lives, and we're still having people that are disadvantaged because of the color of their skin. It's just ridiculous. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I know I've got a lot to learn and a lot of growth yet to do, but if we as Canadians come together and, and recognize that this is something that's happening and we can't put it under the carpet and we learn as much as we can, we can hopefully, if not end systemic racism, at least get much closer than we currently are. Everyone in this world deserves respect and care, and only by growing together do we come together. Well said, Don. Uh, other news this week, U Sports announced that they were going to cancel all playoffs and Shortly behind that, out here in Can West at least, they cancelled all of their fall sport. Here, in terms of football, we're talking about the end of a, an institution, the Vanier Cup. Well, it's not the end of the, an institution, but I think I, I understand what you're trying to get at. It is certainly a situation where, for the first time in its history, the Vanier Cup will not be competed. And it just tells you the breadth and the extent of the COVID-19 pandemic and how far-reaching it is. So we still have to do the right thing. We still have to be physically distant. And if we're going to reopen, we have to do it slowly, carefully, and cautiously. Absolutely. I mean, we see the reopening in, in many provinces across Canada. And I think sometimes people are under the mistaken notion that, hey, well, now I can go back to normal life. That's not the case. We still need to ensure that we're making our physical distancing appropriate when we're out in public, that we're wearing masks, we're protecting those around us who are vulnerable. And I think that's what the U Sport has done with the cancellation of playoffs and Can West and some of the other organizations within the U Sport organization are going to have to determine where they're going to stand with their sports programs and their player safety. It is something that I think every school is going to have to come to on their own terms. So many of the universities in Canada are not having students come to class. So that means distance learning. If you don't have people on campus, how do you bring about a football program or rugby, soccer, any of the fall sports? I had heard 
earlier today that there was some discussion among basketball teams that they would hope for a January training camp and a shortened schedule to get to their April playoff structure with the U-Sport championships. If indeed they get to a playoff structure, I, my understanding in talking with someone who used to be involved with athletics was uh, that they were taking a look at potentially having zones and playing four or five games and you know whether that takes them to a playoff structure or they just crown a champion of the protracted league. Those are discussions that have to be had and I know Can West in announcing the cancellation of fall sports said that they're hoping by October to be able to make a decision on the winter sports as well. And just like every other uh, entity that's involved with sport, everybody's sort of taking this cautious approach. The CFL no different. Their window is starting to close. We're into June and Mm -hmm. as this month marches forward, the amount of time available to the CFL to get in a partial schedule of eight games minimally becomes more and more acute in terms of the timeline available to them. It's going to be crunch time at some point soon, and the logistics of getting everything together are one thing, but as we've said repeatedly, the safety of everyone involved it has to be at the forefront. When it comes to crunch time, I think we're going to be faced with decisions much like U-Sport was in terms of safety, and, and organization with student-athletes are trying to make sure they protect it. It does make sense. These, these are not athletes that are getting paid like in the CFL or pro sports. And that's a much more informed consent, I think, than it is as a student-athlete. I got a tweet from Snack Bites Pete, who asked specifically, if the CFL goes to two hub cities with only East versus East and West versus West, how do you schedule a shortened season with unbalanced divisions? The second part of the equation we'll get to, but the first part is you do have four teams in the East and five in the West. Mm -hmm. And if you keep them separate guaranteed every week that a western team will get a buy how does an eastern team also get a buy in that formula yeah it's it's going to be interesting for the schedulers to have to determine how that works i mean they i think the cflpa will certainly look at player safety and say all teams deserve a buy i think you're going to see an unbalanced schedule where down in the east if, if they're going to play for example five games or in the west you're playing all four teams you'd have to pick that fourth team out in the east to try to balance that schedule so two teams would play each other twice if you were coming down to i guess it would be more than twice potentially on the east side right because you've got six teams would take you through a round robin uh six other games and you need two others so you're going to play two teams twice two well you'd have to play three times against somebody to get to your eight games because you've got that's what sorry yes not just twice you're right three times yep oh good math pat minimally in the west you have to have two bye weekends because every five weeks one of the team has to have a bye Mm -hmm. so to compensate in the east you could do it one of two ways you could have all four teams be off on a single weekend twice or you could stagger it by having two teams on a bye every so many weeks until you fill the quota that's required to make sure that the east gets all their bye weeks Mm -hmm. so if you do it all four at once, you could go on thirds, three weeks in, six weeks in. If you go with another strategy where you just take two teams out of the equation, then you'd have to do it maybe once every two weeks. Yeah, that's that's a good point, Don. And if everyone had it, you know, again, there's going to be teams that have their buy at different times in the West. The East doesn't go right at before playoffs, for example. Then at least you're, you've got some sense of parity. 
Well, the East can't have one team be off because then you've got three teams left. So they always have to go in pairs no matter what happens. Well, hopefully that answers the question of the tweet. If anyone has a different view, make sure you tweet us at Third Down Gamble. Well, the other part of the equation is, is it fair necessarily to have a chance in the East to play a team that may not be having a great season three times, where in the West you can only play anybody twice? That's Snack Bite Pete's second question. How do you want to address that? That has been happening in the, the league already when you're playing teams. You know that some years, for example, uh, Saskatchewan could end up playing Winnipeg three times or Calgary three times or BC or Edmonton. In any given year, you're going to potentially have a team that, that is maybe not as strong. So someone gets that game. It's, it's, it's random, but I, I think you have to keep rotating it around if, if this is the way we're going to be playing football moving forward and they have to do something like this moving forward, then you just it's not always the same teams meeting up with each other in any given year, similar to what's happened in scheduling now, Don. You're, you're exactly right. In the West, as it stands in a normal season, you do play two teams an extra game. Mm-hmm. So everybody has to do that. And in the East, it's the same thing. So it's an imbalanced schedule regardless, notwithstanding eight in the East, 10 in the West, and all that other stuff that I talk about in terms of trying to determine crossover, which I don't think oh. is fair. Anyway, we, we get into that, and I think, yeah, it's just something you have to live with. There's just no other way around it. Until Halifax gets into the mix, you're always going to have this imbalance. And even though it, it's not a random thing in terms of scheduling, it is a random thing because you could catch a team one year where they're down. And Calgary did this to Edmonton a few years ago and beat them three times. That's a huge bump yep. for your uh, – uh, standings. Yes, and and I think you know that that is just the luck of the draw. Sometimes the team has an injury. Any team could have an injury of a key player, such as a quarterback, a strong defense leader, uh, and that's going to happen. Um, so it's a, it, you know during the course of the season, even if the team is strong and there's a few guys who are either suspended, injured, whatever it happens to be at that point in time, that's the nature of a league. You're going to get someone at at a weak point or someone at a really strong point as well potentially. Do you also think though that? If you have somebody go down for six weeks in a very condensed schedule, that their loss is just exacerbated oh. because they may only play the front first game of the season and the last game of the season and nothing in between because of injury. There's always that as well. At least on an 18-game schedule, if you're on the sixth game, there's still 12 more. Absolutely. Uh, that's a great point, I think, Don. Uh, injuries will now play a much more pronounced role in in when you meet with the team and also in the playoffs. I mean, you don't have the chance to be injured early in the season, get rehabilitated two or three games prior to playoffs and come on. In this case, if you get a a serious injury where you're going to be out for any period of time, it's going to impact your team and teams are going to have to make sure that they're the next person is ready to play. Beyond the next person, it could be the person being. (laughs) Yes, it could. I, I know it's COVID and everything, but Andrew brought it up even last week. Do you have to have maybe expanded rosters, not practice squads but actual rosters to accommodate the the fact that everything is so compressed well you you absolutely may we we've discussed the two quarterback system before like think of that if a quarterback goes down in the game and and then the second one goes down where do you stand if you don't have an expanded roster most teams are probably going to have a third quarterback somewhere practice roster or stash on on the roster or injured reserve list potentially but, um, but why not have them on the game day roster? Why not for this circumstance, because it is unique, why not just sort of expand the rules a little bit and say the extra 10 players that you normally would have on a, a development or a practice squad actually get to suit up for tonight's game? Yep, 
Exactly. And even if they can't play in that game or, or only limited, can you say two or three may be able to play out of that 10, right? That at least gives you the opportunity to have people ready to go in the event of catastrophic injuries. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. And I kind of like that because then you're, you, you could be limited to almost like a DI in a, in a sense, a designated import where yeah. once you bring somebody on and someone goes off, that's it. And you can only do it three times. So that would be a, a kind of a cool way to do it. Yeah, that's right. Well, we'll hope maybe somebody in the office is listening. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's get hold of the CFL and let them know what we're talking about, Don. <laughs> Second down. CFL expert? We're about to find out. It's trivia time. We've heard the door creak. We've heard the clock wind. It's trivia time. <laughs> Are you ready? Um, what if I say no? <laughs> That's a good question. I never thought of that response. <laughs> Two and a half out of nine so far, right? I, I could at least maybe get that one right if I say no. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm ready, Don. <laughs> well... We'll go for it. I'm, uh, today's the day. I'm feeling you're going to be easy on me today. All right. I hope so. We'll see. Shouldn't be too tough. All right. Here we go. Question one. The BC Lions hmm. entered the CFL in 1954. From where did okay. they get their team name? Multiple choice. A. The mountain lions that live in the Rockies. B. A pair of mountain peaks north of Vancouver. C. Media named the team after GM Anastukas, whose intensity as a player was often described as he played like a lion. Well, the third one has an awful lot of information compared to the other two. Um, you know, if it's not the third one, Don, I think you've done a great job of doing it. So I'm going to go with three. Anastukas. C. Yep. So that's, you're choosing C. All right, time's up. The answer is B. Oh, boy, you uh, you did well there. I just thought that was pretty good. Nice uh, narrative. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. It is named for two mountain peaks that actually from the old Empire Stadium you could see. So it was pretty cool. So, yeah. You know, I learned something new. I did not know that. That's, that's actually a very cool story. <laughs> Thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Here's a tough one. Question two. Okay. I thought we were getting easier. I've got to keep my one for three at least going, don't I? Yeah, that's true. You can do it. You can do it. Okay. Which team won the most Grey Cups in the 1960s? A, Ottawa. B, Hamilton. C, Toronto. Or D, Montreal. Wow. I don't see it being Ottawa. I'm going to say Hamilton. Was that C or B? Hamilton is my... Okay, B is my choice. Hamilton. Okay. In this case, you are correct. However, the one caveat, Ottawa also had three great cup wins in the 1960s. Oh, so you two out of the four would have been right. 
I had two out of four, I, and I, I said I don't see it being Ottawa. <laughs> but I will not mark you down. Thanks. Do not. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm at least 33% today. Yeah. You're three and a half now out of 11. Uh, it rounds up four. Three and a half out of 11. <laughs> All right. The final question okay. from this week. And by the way, just as a tease for everybody, next week we're moving up to four questions. So, hmm. Oh my goodness. Yep. The stakes, they just keep getting bigger. <sighs> Gonna have to start reading my CFL history book. Okay, here we go. This is a first non-modern era question for you that we've had. You're saying non-modern? We're going back before 1945. 1945. Well. I'll, I'll give you the context. Okay. During the 1930s, the Calgary football team was known as A, Stampeders, B, Bronx, or C, Rustlers. Hmm. I'm guessing it's not Stampeders because they are Stampeders now. I would think they probably had a different name. And if I had to guess, I'd probably go with Rustlers over Bronx. So I would say C, Rustlers. The answer is B, Bronx. Ah. From 1936 to 1940, the football team playing out of Miwata Stadium was known as the Bronx. Hmm. I, I, I learned something new about football in the 30s. Football in the 30s. A little bit of history. There's nothing wrong with learning history. No, no. This is uh, this has been good for me. Hopefully it's been good for our listeners as well. But uh, hopefully one of these weeks I can actually go over 33%. That door is wide open. All you have to do is walk through it. It, it sure is. There's, there's plenty of room for growth. I'm, I'm, I'm going with a growth mindset that there's plenty of opportunity for me to score a little bit better than I have been so far. Third down. The CFL has seen the departure of one of its most iconic announcers. Chris Cuthbert has left TSN for Sportsnet, a four-year deal, and I think he will be greatly missed. Chris Cuthbert has been with the CFL for many, many years. I think he's called 25 great cups. And interesting thing that he put out that he's actually called every Canadian team in the league winning a great cup in his time calling CFL games. That's pretty amazing. That is an amazing stat. He came to TSN in 2005 after being fired at CBC. And I remember the day that it happened, I was incredulous. I, I think. And irony of ironies in one sense he was let go by CBC during the NHL lockout of 0405, and now during this COVID 19 pandemic, here he is leaving TSN to join Sportsnet. At least this time, uh, Cuthbert leaves on his own volition and uh, a great voice for the uh, Canadian Football League and the CFL on TSN will be uh, on his way over to Sportsnet. In this case, going over to Sportsnet was a decision that he made himself, which I think is suitable to someone of his stature in the broadcasting world. He can call his own ticket, and I think he's going to be a real addition for Sportsnet. He goes back to hockey, which he called at CBC as well. Uh, he did some with TSN, but limited. It's a big loss for the CFL because of his knowledge, his preparation, and the ability to call a game and bring the crowd into the game, make the moment matter, and the word choice he had I thought was second to none. The game itself mattered more than his presence at it. Mm -hmm. And 
I always just enjoyed if it was Cuthbert on play by play, I knew I was going to enjoy that football game because he never gave up on a game. Nope. He, if it was down to the wire or if it was decided in the first quarter, Cuthbert was going to keep you engaged. A consummate professional that way. I, again, he keeps you engaged. He had uh, the knowledge of the game, the players, the background, the history, and could bring forward, even on the games that may have been, uh, you know, not iconic games in the sense of a classic CFL game, um, he could find things that would keep you interested as a, as a viewer, as a listener. And uh, to me, that, that's the sign of someone at the top of their game. I've often heard it said that if you're going to become a play-by-play broadcaster that you have to have your suitcase full and Chris Cuthbert was one of those people at CFL football games that his suitcase was full he had more than enough information to provide during a broadcast that if the game got slow he could reach into that suitcase and pull out some interesting tidbits of information and by the end of the game that suitcase still had a lot of information left inside that he never had a chance to reveal Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the other thing that I've heard about him um, is that he is one who's been willing to share his knowledge of the game, his knowledge of preparation to be a broadcaster. And uh, I think we've got other broadcasters who have learned from Chris Cuthbert and will continue to learn from them. But certainly, if I were looking to become a broadcaster, I would be going back to watch the Cuthbert games where he's calling the CFL because you would learn an awful lot about the professionalism of calling a game and I think that's the the word that would describe him best as he was a consummate professional he just had a like I say a sense about what needed to be and he certainly had the right superlatives for the right moments so that uh, even if we step away from football and go back to Sidney Crosby's goal in the 2010 Olympics he immediately calls it the golden goal and Mm -hmm. He was just so ahead of the curve on understanding place and time. Yeah. And and as you mentioned before, not only place and time, but, but the fact that to let the game almost call itself, he'd, he'd bring something, but then you're listening to the goal. You're listening to the celebration. You're listening to the crowd noise, and it, and it allowed you to focus in on the enormity of those moments in those crucial games where everything's on the line. And he called a lot of enormous football games in the Canadian Football League. Mm -hmm. It's just an amazing thing to be able to do that. I I did some play-by-play broadcasting in another lifetime, and I I have so much respect for a person that can put up with the schedule demands and just persevere through a lot of jet lag and still be able to seem to be right on top of everything that was going on in front of him. Absolutely. He's not a young man and, and the uh, demands of being, you know, at times in, in four different places over four different nights, I think he's alluded to. That's not easy to do even as a young man. Again, professional, I think as soon as one game is done, he's probably prepping the next one and taking information that he can glean and getting ready for the next game. So he will be missed in the CFL. We'll see who the next iconic broadcaster will be that the next generation will come to know and love. Well, speaking of iconic broadcasters, who else comes to mind when you think of Canadian football? Okay, from, from the broadcaster side, I mean, I, I certainly, the one who comes to my mind first would be Don Whitman. Yes, he did a lot of work for the CBC for a lot of years. And there was, a, I mean, you and I have spoken about this 
uh, you know, when we were watching as, as young fans of the CFL, when I was young at any rate, uh, maybe you were a little bit older than me at the time, but uh, you could watch on CBC and CTV. So you had uh, broadcasters on both sets, and, and usually you had two different people. There's other names out there. I'm sure you're going to be able to bring them up as well. Well, alongside Whitman for a lot of years was Frank Rigney, and mm-hmm. just one of the best color commentators that I ever grew up watching. He knew how to dissect every play from the line out and really gave you a sense of what needed to happen to make any play effective. I would also say in terms of another broadcaster, uh, Don Chevrier, outstanding in, in what he did. Beautiful baritone voice. Another person who really let the moment speak to you. He knew how to inflect, inject, at the right time, but he always backed away to let the crowd take over. If you want to go to YouTube, you can watch Don Chevrier on vintage CFL games from even the 1960s. Yep. And just the antiquated equipment at the time with which he had to work and to see how he performs, it's really special. And I always loved when he was calling a game because it, he got the call to Gabriel Ketch in 1976 when Ottawa defeats Saskatchewan with 20 seconds to go. And that resonates because of his call. You bet. And so many of these uh, strong, iconic broadcasters, we recognize them if you've watched them through the era, but you also absolutely recognize them from those iconic moments in the CFL, like the Gabriel Ketch, like the uh, Ridgeway field goal. I mean, there's lots of calls they make become part of the CFL history and lore. Pat Marsden, another one, CTV, who did uh, their broadcast for years. Another one who just loved doing what he was doing. He, could, he was just infectious when he called a game. Absolutely. I, I enjoyed being able to see the different ways that at that time you had two television networks broadcasting. Each network brought different things and different speakers. And Pat Marsden, uh, I liked the way he analyzed the game and made it easier for the fan to understand. For me as a young, play, young man who was listening to the game and learning about it, he helped teach me the game and what, what was important about the CFL. And you mentioned the fact that CBC and CTV both had Canadian football coverage. And I think in my heart of hearts, I would love to see the day when TSN and somebody else covers Canadian football. Because I think the, the little bit of competition between the networks might elevate them both. It's not that TSN does a poor job, but sometimes another network might do something different that causes you to think and might change your approach just a little bit. And every time an idea flow goes back and forth, I think it benefits everyone. Absolutely. I I think if you've been watching TSN, uh, my my comment on it would be that sometimes it's a little formulistic. And uh, yeah, you're right. I think having a different lens through which to view the game and, and highlight what's on there could help people understand the game a little bit more, I guess, and also help the CFL, I think, in terms of finding different areas of expertise and niches that they can expose to the viewers. So for the time being, TSN has absolute rights over the CFL, and I'm fine with that. I mean, they do great work. Yep, they, they really do. They've got a big hole to fill with Cuthbert now gone. Oof. Somebody's got to step in and, and fill those shoes. You know, it's too bad in a way that Dale Isaac... Yeah, wasn't... Still around. Yeah. He was a Cuthbert type. He was a consummate professional. He just absolutely understood the game implicitly. Mm-hmm. And so there was nothing that got past him as he called a game. And I remember one time the, the Stampeders were playing, and it might have been Ottawa, and JT Hay on second down, they tried a long field goal, and they bobbled the snap. And before you could 
you know, jump up and down if you were a Stampeder fan. Yeah. Isaac said, wait a minute. That was second down. They've got one more chance. And hey, hit last play field goal from five yards further back. Just, you have to be aware. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the commentators, again, for if you follow football, you may be aware of those things, but not everyone is, right? So they simplify the game for the viewer. They teach you the nuances and, and in a way that's not obtrusive. So um, I'm not sure who the next TSN broadcaster is going to be. I'm, I'm interested to find out who their premier broadcaster, if you will, because uh, certainly the, the one who's calling the Great Cups all these years was Chris Cuthbert. And uh, it'll be interesting to see who the next one to step up is. It's similar to many of the good color commentators. I mean, you mentioned Frank Rigney, but I mean, for me, um, when Ronnie Lancaster stepped out of the booth and back into coaching, that was, I thought, a real loss because of the knowledge of the game that he brought and the ability to simplify it again and, and to make the story so interesting. You wanted to just hear him continue to talk through the whole game. Ronnie Lancaster, to me, was the best mm-hmm. color commentator that the CFL has ever seen. The man intuitively knew the Canadian game, played it long enough, coached it. There was nothing that he didn't know, and he was he was so joyful in any broadcast. You could just tell that uh, his love for football just oozed through his entire being as he talked about it. It absolutely did, and he also seemed it was it was like listening to someone who you knew extremely well talk about something you just felt like you were connected to him and the cfl through him for me i would say he was the penultimate uh, color commentator in my lifetime for this newest generation of canadian football fans chris cuthbert is the voice that they will always remember as the voice of the cfl on tsn yep and there are so many iconic calls that he has made over the years that it's just too hard and there are just too many to recount, but there are a few that stand out above the others, especially this classic from July 20th, 2006. One last shot, barring a penalty for Kevin Glenn. Downfield for Stiegel, he's got it! Oh no! Stiegel! Are you kidding? This is unbelievable! Touchdown Bombers! Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. That's spelled at T-H-I-R-D-D-O-W-N-G-A-M-B-L-E. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching. Worth watching.